0: Of a sacred cinema here on two double X ninety eight point three FM, people powered radio. I'm your host Jimmy Bernasconi, and this week's episode is entitled "Princes, Prowlers, and Progenitrices." <laughs> of the show who tuned in last week would know that last week's episode was entitled Princesses, Protectors and Predators or some combination of those three P words Uh, and we looked at uh, the intersection of age and gender as two pretty fundamental human concepts that all human societies and cultures throughout history are familiar with and and have depicted in various forms of art and culture and sorts of things. This this week we're going to flip it over, we're actually going to look specifically, again we're going to look at the, the intersection of age and gender but rather than looking at um, the intersection of youth and femininity um and, and and that that being embodied in one character and that being contrasted um, with the intersection of um, older age or maturity uh, intersecting with masculinity this week we're going to flip it around and we're going to have a look at um, youth intersecting with uh, masculinity and that being embodied in the character who is contrasted with another character where um, maturity or old age intersects with femininity so essentially we're looking at younger younger last week we looked at in uh, you know, relationships between older men and younger women and this week, we' are looking at older women and younger men um so I, I I suppose we could probably do two more weeks where we tick off the other the other two of the four combinations I guess but um I don't I don't know if that's the case uh, as we sort of uh, pointed out last week um, we use the terms man and woman or boy or girl uh, in these weeks I think it probably makes more sense to sort of you the male or female characters, um, rather than being male or female, you know, in the world of, of art and storytelling and that sort of thing, seeing them more as depictions of masculinity and femininity, um, being traits that all human beings embody to, embodying to varying degrees. I just think we can get more out of the films that way. It means like, you know, a man can get something out of a female character or a female can get something out of a male character. I, I don't think it would make sense to have too cut and dry a view of the characters and what they're actually supposed to be depicting and what they're, what they're actually about. Um, now, just Uh, up front this week's episode is entitled Princes, Prowlers, and (laughs) Progenitrices. I'm not going to pretend I knew what the word (laughs) progenitrix um, was uh, before I I wrote this week's episode. Um, I'm very happy to know uh, what it is uh, now, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. I think you can figure it out for yourself. Um, But let's kick it off now. Let's kick off today's show. Uh, Let's start talking about the, the films, because we've got a lot to unpack. Uh, and they're three pretty chunky films So let's kick it off now The first film we're going to talk about Is Hal Ashby's film from 1971 Harold and Maud, Of course we're going to talk about that one. If we're talking about young boys and older women, we're then going to talk about a new release uh, from Sam Mendes, a film that I absolutely adored. Uh, it's called Empire of Light. Came out in 2022 everywhere else, but here in Australia, it's come out this year. And then we're going to finish things off with it's a it's a Hal Ashby Todd Field double. Because a couple of weeks ago we did uh, Tar and Being There. This week we're doing. Um, Harold and Maud, in combination with In the Bedroom from 2001, that'll be the final film we talk about this week. Uh, But let's kick things off now with Hal Ashby's 1971 film, Harold and Maud. So um, this is about two characters, this is a film about two characters, one's named Harold, one's named Maud, if you haven't seen the film, and uh, let's start off with Harold. Harold is a young boy who is obsessed with death. Uh, Part of why this film is so famous and funny is that throughout the whole film, he pretends to commit suicide through all these various different creative ways of doing it and it's it's pretty I imagine being quite funny in 1971 seeing this young boy in a suit do that sort of thing but I think for today's conversation it's probably worth viewing him as sort of the typical adolescent male or as representative of of an exaggerated version of the typical or archetypal adolescent male who is kind of pathologically obsessed with mortality and existentialism and and Nietzsche uh, let's say you imagine someone like Paul Paul Dano's character in Little Miss Sunshine, the kind of you know dark, twisted-minded, uh, grungy teenage boy who thinks about death and doesn't think anyone takes the world seriously, kind of thing. I mean, he's not he's not super cringy like that, but he is very morbid. Uh, and then he gets to meet Maud because uh, he goes to funerals all the time because they remind him of death and that sort of thing. And 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 funerals sort of become the nexus of of life and death in in a very metaphorical sense in this film because when he's there, he meets this lady, Maud, who goes there, also to be reminded of death, but in the sense that, you know, it's important to remember that death is coming so you enjoy life as it is Um, because Maud is this, this very, she's an old lady. She's about to turn eighty, but she's she's young at heart. She's quite a wild. You can tell in her younger days, she was a bit of a you know a wild child, uh, and lives very spontaneously. And, and the other part of why this film was probably been so funny in nineteen seventy one, it's it's still funny, obviously. But uh, is that it's, you know, it's an old lady breaking into people's cars and stealing trees from the sidewalk and all those sorts of thing. And, and basically, these two characters um, get together. So in in in, in I mean, um, sorry. Before I do, I just want to make a <laughs> want to make a weird note. This film came out in nineteen seventy one. This is the same year that the film Maggie, uh, that the song Maggie May came out. You know the Rod Stewart song, which is also about a young boy getting with an older lady. I don't know what was in the air in nineteen seventy one. I suppose with women's lib and that sort of thing, um, depictions of the older, mature, more powerful feminine are coming into the zeitgeist, and society's interested to see how that sort of uh, how that you know inter interrelates with perhaps the young naive dare I say ignorant or arrogant young masculine figure, I'm not sure. Uh, but it's, it is interesting to pair that song with this film, same year, kind of kind of crazy. But anyway, metaphorically, what we could say both in that song but also in this film is that we're seeing sort of the intersection of depression and appreciation uh, for life or, or in more basic sense, um, the intersection of pessimism and optimism or even just death and life. And I think there's actually a way that you can view this film and perhaps a lot of films, uh, the films we're going to talk about this week and a lot of others, where uh, we see this sort of death versus life situation where, where death is traditionally conceived as a more masculine concept you know, you think about concepts like war and violence and bloodshed and, and that kind of violent kind of depression. Those are kind of mixed up with colors of blackness and redness. They kind of do have an overly fiery masculine edge to them uh, in a very general sense. And then life is kind of got more uh, traditionally maybe more of a feminine quality to it. Uh, if you listen to like Joseph Campbell talk about this, um, he talks a lot about how, how life is the, 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 you know, the creation. Creation as a concept is generally depicted as more of a feminine uh, concept. If you think, about things like procreation, birthing, organic growth. So you could read, I think you could read this film as kind of the intersection of masculinity and femininity as metaphors of death and life. In a way, if we're going to get super broad about it, but I don't want us to get too bogged down and being so cut and dry about it because it, because the Howard Maud relationship is not the only. Older older woman, younger boy com, uh, relationship in this film. Harold also has a really interesting relationship with his mother. That's actually what kicks off the entire film. What you could say is that the premise of the film is is a, a young boy who is depressed because his mother has such a has um, has really imprisoned him um, emotionally, psychologically, and he it's it's a, he, the film is about his struggle to break free of that. And 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 both of these older women in his life, um, you could take them as. Figments of his imagination, or or different aspects of his psyche, but but to hone in a little bit more, Harold's mother is sort of a she's very posh. She talks a bit like this, even though they're from America, and you know she's very, she's an archetypally devouring mother. She keeps trying to get him to marry different little girls, and she's very civil. She's very narrow-minded. very suffy, fussy, very uptight. So if we compare her to Maud, we kind of get the two ends. Of the spectrum of femininity, in a sense, we have this sort of uptightness, obsessed with doing sort of the right thing and, and r- complying with the rules and the system. In one sense. And once it's and the other end, you've got this kind of like, "Oh, to hell with it! Let's, you know, let's break free, let's, you know, pick daisies and, and have a good time at the countryside." And I think it's also interesting to think about the fact that Harold also has no clear male role models either. So you could also see it as a story of like, you know, ha- how does how does a young man uh, mature? How does a young man? Uh, find a fulfilling life or integrate or individuate himself uh, where there is a, an absence of a of a clear masculine role model and it's interesting that his uncle um, the, the character of his uncle is not a major part of the film but I think it's really interesting uh, that the, it reminded me of this sort of this archetype of the uncle um, as sort of the false father or like a flimsy father or an, or an inadequate father we see it in all those big epic films like Star Wars and Harry Potter um, but even going all the way back to Shakespeare and Hamlet the idea of the uncle being like a false father, like, a, like a, the shadow version of the father, uh, a deficiency of the father, let's say. So the film is is sort of posing questions like that, you know, a young man's choice. How how does a young man free himself from the shackles of a henpecking mother to embrace uh, to embrace life? Um, but I'm not sure that the, the film goes so far as to say that um, by the end of the film he has embraced life and then he loves life because he because he gets together with Maud and he embraces Maud. I, I think the best way to view the film is more that 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 Maud is a symbol of the life loving feminine. Um, and, and, and that life-loving feminine is, an actually, is actually an aspect of, is a dormant aspect within Harold's own psyche that he actually has to integrate. So uh, I, don't, I don't want to give too much of the film away in case... Some of the listeners haven't seen it, Um, but I I don't think the film is – there's a key plot point near the end of the film, but that that makes me feel that the film is not really saying – or we shouldn't view it – or I don't like to view it as that it's saying that that, that the fatherless boy must find his ultimate – will only ultimately be fulfilled in finding the right woman (sighs) – um, rather, it's more that he's able to fulfill himself, he's able to properly integrate himself when he embraces the life loving feminine um, and independently integrates that into his own life. When he sort of embraces the love loving feminine side that's within his own psyche and integrates it um, sort of in a holistic sense into his own life, sort of wherever he goes, wherever he trots um, toward the horizon, uh, in, uh, that is the future, you know, that is his future. Um, but is it always the case, though, that it? That it's the, it's the initiative taken by the older woman that transforms their counterpart, in this case, the young man. Does it ever happen the other way around? Well, to answer that question, let's move on to our next film. But before we do, just to remind you, you are listening to Two FM. 98.3 uh fm please stay in for more quality radio content here on two xx or jump onto our website to consider subscribing to the station or sponsoring the show uh, please get in contact with me also you can email me at contact at jimmy or find me on instagram lots popping up on the instagram uh, this year so please do get in contact we'd love to hear any yeah, love to receive any further feedback or any recommendations for the show etc etc but let's move on now to a new film Empire of Light I loved this movie So much For so many reasons We're not going to have Enough time to go through All of them um, But if you haven't seen The film yet I'm not going to give away Too much um, But basically It stars Olivia Colman Who plays a lady Called Hillary And she's sort of A bit of a frumpy Kind of Typically You know Middle aged Single Lonely British woman um, Who works At a cinema It's in the early 1980s In a in a kind of Very beautiful Seaside town I am going to use the word Beautiful a lot when talking about this film But Um lives in this beautiful seaside town in England um, and she sort of gets along well with the other co-workers. They're generally young people and um, but there's one fellow in particular that, that shows up, this, this young striking handsome man named Stephen played by an actor named Michael Ward um, and they sort of strike up an interesting friendship or dare I say a relationship and um, I, I just want to say just I love when this happens so much on the show, but I mean, it's the purpose of the show. But when you can draw these really clear connections between a lot of other films that we've talked about of late, which 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 makes sense because we've been orbiting around a lot of the same themes, but this film would go so well. With Mystic Pizza. I mean, in addition to the fact that, like, yes, I know that it goes really well with like the Fablemans and Babylon, and a lot of people are making films about films right now. But remember last a couple of weeks ago we talked about Mystic Pizza and about the coming of age at work, and particularly because it's set in a seaside town. And I think in films where you have the immediacy of I've been into a week on this for uh, a week on this for ages, but like the immediacy of the sea. Remember, we did that episode many months ago about the deep blue sea and the idea of the abyss and the unknown and sort of facing a, a horizon of endless. And I think there's, there's something, and it's, and, and I was thinking about so many of the films that we've done like recently. I mean, like, you've got um, After Sun as well from last week, um, In the Bedroom, which we're about to talk about, also, A Seaside Town, but also um, Adventureland, set also in the 1980s, and Coming of Age. Well, I, just, I just think this film goes so well with so many other films we've been talking about of late. Um, just that, that kind of m- somewhat melancholic, introspective, watching the waves break. And just thinking about your life and, and the kind of person you want to be. These films all go well together, but there's a specific metaphor in the film um, that isn't that that I really want to focus on specifically for the purpose of the the relationship between the you know the older feminine and the younger masculine characters in this film. So basically, they work at this big multiplex, and when Olivia Coleman is taking Stephen around the multiplex for his like induction, um, there's like this kind of secret room and she takes him into it because he sort of pushes her to go into it, which has a great deal of metaphorical value, I think. Um, and they, she shows him this abandoned section of the multiplex where there used to be two... Other theatres and a massive big bar and ballroom, and it's real dreamscape stuff, right? When I when this happened, my heart started fluttering. Like I had, I love this film mostly for this scene, um, because I you know when you you see a certain aesthetic image and it just it just evokes something, it just breathes life into something within you, like dormant deep within your psyche, and I mean, we're seeing a lot on Instagram reels now I don't know if anyone else gets those creepy reels where it's like creepy music and it like it's like you are now going down a slide you are going to a dungeon there are people that don't look like and, and it's people people are trying to like create dreamscapes and, and you go into these sort of endless mazes um, which are filled with like abandoned rooms and there's lots of discussions now about abandoned rooms in video games and things like that but I think it really taps deep into deep into something deep into the collective unconscious I mean I know personally I always have dreams about finding abandoned toilet blocks at my in my high school, like I have it probably once a week or once a month, I have a dream where I'm walking around my old high school and I I open a door and I or I'm on an excursion. I find this whole massive toilet block um, that's like. Um, no one knows. No one knows it's there, and I think that's that's something very archetypal or uh, very uh, relevant that resonates so deeply with us. The idea of finding something within yourself that you didn't realise there that that this chasm of possibility that's within you. Anyway, in talking about it in that way, and, and especially you've got to look at this film to really feel that, um, but but also to feel what I'm about to say next, which is that um, this is where. Olivia Coleman and and Stephen get their, let's say, this is where they get their loving done, let's say. And I think particularly because he's the one that sort of pushes her to go to this abandoned place, it therefore serves as this really quite beautiful metaphor for Hillary herself, or at least a part of herself, in that she is this sort of, she she was this, until Stephen came along, this abandoned body that has sort of been discarded and, Abandoned by society, uh, you know this this once young, youthful female figure uh, has sort of been thrown away, discarded by society, but is now being rediscovered uh, by this young, open minded, handsome, kind and compassionate young masculine figure um, who can see the beauty in her. Um, being this this sort of complex relic. And I think it's just such a beautiful metaphor of seeing them sitting there together in the booth enjoying each other's company. It's like, it's like he's discovering something about her that she knew was always in her. And the beauty of his character is that he can find that in her. And, it, and it's, it's, again, it's very similar to it's sort of the reverse of Harold and Morty. It's not so much that, you know, it's not like like a very... It's not a sexist depiction of, of relationships where it's like, well, you need a man to to be happy. Because I mean, I don't want to give away too much about the film, but, it, but there is a there is a finiteness to this relationship. It's more that by embracing um, Stephen, if we see him as an aspect of Olivia Coleman's psyche, by embracing this sort of the the sort of young, open minded, adventurous. Um, somewhat risk-taking, you know, the, the adolescent male within her psyche who's who's willing to open doors um, that are locked and, and break rules just a little bit. She's able to rediscover the, the, the inner beauty that was otherwise abandoned by her and, and society at large. Um, and, and that's a really beautiful aspect of this film and, and I'm, a, I'm a massive fan of it. And, and also I, I just want to quickly say as well there's a scene in this film that to me is very uh, reminiscent of a, another recent... Uh, film from English-speaking Europe, actually technically not English-speaking because a lot of the film is in Irish, but there was a film that came out last year called The Quiet Girl. And there's a really interesting ending in that film where the character runs after another character and gives them sort of like a simple, innocent hug. And I think when we're talking this week specifically about like discovering another part of your psyche or embracing a part of your psyche that's personified by a specific character in the film, I I think we're seeing this Interesting recurring image in a lot of films of late of like the soft embrace, or like the the the, the it's it's not it's not that it, it's not that it's um, pathetic or meaningless or immaterial. It's just that there's a gentleness to it. It's not particularly rigid. Uh, it doesn't mean that someone's being consumed or dominated by another part of the psyche. It's like a marriage between aspects of the psyche, a very harmonious marriage. And I think images of of of, of two, um, two figures sort of embracing that gentle sense. I think it's a much more apt, um, I think it resonates more with people, particularly now, I'm not sure, but we don't like to see the domination of one aspect over another. We like to see a, a sort of kind of synergy, a harmonious, holistic and, um, uh, synergy of, of, of two, not opposing concepts, but concepts that, that correspond and, and complement one another, but but can still be pulled apart where needed. I'm sort of I've been banging on about that for about uh, sixty seconds now. So we'll move on to the next film now. But I just I just noticed that this is this running image. And I just want to unpack it briefly. Um, but anyway. We have an interesting tension here, though, don't we? Because it, it it seems that it kind of goes both ways, and and I don't want to end today's episode on a on a on a sad note, but it, things could probably get messy, couldn't they? Right? If it's sometimes the older feminine that's saving the younger masculine, but it's also sometimes the younger masculine that's saving the older feminine, things might get might become a bit of a dogfight at some point. So let's let's look at a film that kind of deals with this, and we're going to finish off now with Todd Field's film from two thousand and one, In the Bedroom. And, um, and again, I'm not going to talk too much about the film as a whole from front to back. I want to specifically focus on just a specific aspect or a specific characters in it. But before we do that, just a a brief synopsis. Basically, it's about – I want to talk about this film, how it's really about two kind of oldish parents, uh, played by by Tom Wilkinson and CC Spacek, um, and they have a young son who finds himself – um, in a relationship with an older woman played by uh, Marissa Tomei. And that's I think it's quite relevant because she has that very kind of... Marissa Tomei is, like, iconically, like, a bit of a Jennifer Aniston where she still looks super young and cute and... Um, you know, quite attractive, no matter how old she's gonna get. Um, and she's got a dangerous ex husband uh, played by the guy who is Ethan in Lost, uh, Grey Casting. Uh, I forgot his actual name, but I think it's pretty, it's pretty. It's just the first thing I saw when I saw it. Uh, and I was like, oh my god, it's Ethan. Uh, he's re- re- his real name um, is uh, William uh, Mapotha. M- 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 <laughs> Sorry, getting back to the actual premise of the the film. Uh, essentially, th- there's all sorts of combos there, isn't there? Like with the with the male and the female, and the older and the younger. There, if you got the parents, you have got the son. You've got, he's got she. He's got the the older girlfriend. She's got the younger boys who are the children. And you know, there's an older man who's the ex husband. So it's a lot of older, younger, male, female, blah blah blah. But if we're going to focus specifically on the parents. Um, in this film, the Tom Wilkinson, Space Spacek characters. Um, I think if we're gonna by the, by focusing on them in the film, I think Field is kind of asking this question, which is like sort of as a society, as as the guardians of those who are who are who are to come after us, who who will inherit everything that we we have created and will inherit the earth and, and, and everything. How, how should we advise them? How should we protect them specifically in regards to the obstacles they'll face because of their age or because of their gender and and, and those those sort of things? And I, I think if we use the film as an exemplification for sort of how those obstacles can emerge and and, and how they can make life difficult. I think one piece of advice we could give is that the bravery we feel in youth can often be a bit of a curse, as noble as it may be. And I think this is because with age comes various experiences, it becomes experience itself when we become almost more adept at dealing with life's obstacles, but but many, many experiences, hardships, um, which result in baggage, uh, which means that there can be things that we deal with that follow us around. And if, and, and if you're a younger person and you're not really aware of the kinds of the vestiges that, that, that might crop up, um, not just for you but, but in other people's lives and, and the, the sort of complex relationships we have with our past and the things that linger, n- not even the people but the feelings that linger, we can find ourselves, f- dare I say, fighting above our weight. Um, which can sort of lead to some pretty, uh, some pretty profound negative ramifications, let's say. I think you could almost say that um, as life continues, as we live more and more and we have more and more experiences, life gets more and more confusing or, or dare I say, it, more mysterious. It, it's not that we learn more things. We just learn more that there are there are things that we don't know. We, we, we sort of see more darkness, more of the abyss. And as I mentioned before, this film is also set on a seaside town. And there's a lot of the imagery about, you know, fishing and, and, you know, reaching into a bucket and picking up a lobster and getting nipped. You know, the unknown is something that um, can be quite dangerous or, or daunting or, dare I say, a little bit unsettling and, and bordering on. Kind of horrifying in this film. It's not an easy watch, and there's a particular scene in the film that Tom Wilkinson's character, I think, you know, best depicts this idea. Where he's kind of like the patriarch of this film. He's he's the older man, I suppose. that could have worked for last week, and he's kind of sort of bringing everything that he's been that that's happened to his family in the film together. And he, and, he, and he's, he's if you've seen the film, you know, this a bit I'm talking about. Where he sees a particular photo. And he's he can't sleep because he's thinking, well, "What does that? Why was that photo there? How can I explain the photo?" And if you've seen the film, you can't really explain the photo, and it's it's creepy how hard it is to explain it. So to think that his younger son had to deal with the situation depicted in that photograph kind of makes you feel like you know the the, the it's it's not so much that he had arrogance, but a, but a kind of naivety, and despite his bravery that. That, that that sort of led to a, you know somewhat of a downward spiral. So let's try and bring everything together. Let's let's be Tom Wilkinson's ourselves here, right? So. When we talked about Harold and Maud, we kind of got to this place where we said sort of the, the fate of the young angsty man is if he, if he wants to have a fulfilling life, he, he, what he really needs to do is integrate the life-loving feminine. It doesn't mean go away and get married and find the most beautiful woman you can or the oldest woman you can and just marry her and let her complete life. It means, you know, you, you've got to embrace um, that, that life-loving feminine that's within your own psyche. But equally, that's not to say that the adventurousness of the zealous young masculine cannot um, reignite uh, the, the, the dormant fire um, that 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 has, that's within sort of the 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 the, uh, the mature feminine that's kind of locked herself away from society. It can go both ways, right? That the, the love for life can be ignited in the younger masculine by the older feminine, and vice versa by the by the uh, the younger masculine in the older feminine. So, in reconciling this interesting tension, we probably need to remember that each with each year with each year that we age, the world will probably become a little bit more mysterious for us in good and bad ways. But it can mean that we sort of, we, we can doom uh, outdoom ourselves if we are too ignorant or too arrogant. But we can also doom others if we're a little bit um, overindulged or a bit careless about other people's fate and other people's emotions. So perhaps we need to find the value in balancing optimism and pessimism or balancing death and life's, uh, death and life. Perhaps societies and cultures, as a unit, as a whole, need to embrace both their inner princess and prince. Well, that's all we've got time for this week, unfortunately. Here on Sacred Cinema on 2 x on 8.3 FM People Powered Radio. Stay tuned for more quality radio programming here on 2XX, or consider jumping onto our website and subscribing or sponsoring the show. Um, we've got a special treat for you this week. The full Sacred Cinema theme song, guitar solo, solo and all coming up. So stay tuned. Cheers. See you next week.